0: generation there is a chosen podcast it alone will analyze the subtext the allegory and the clever weediness dialogue it is conversations with dead people
1: Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a postmortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. My name's Paul, I'm your host, and I am typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. Uh this week we've made it to Buffy episodes four nineteen, New Moon Rising, and four twenty, uh, the Yoko Factor. I just realized it is four twenty at the time of this recording. It is April twentieth today. Um I am um uh, I am not celebrating in traditional style. I am celebrating by reviewing episode 420 of <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, and back with me for this celebration for the first time in almost two full seasons as uh, um fan scholar fan. I don't know how we're going to parse that one. Uh, blog queen and author of Bite Me, the unofficial guide to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Nikki Stafford. Nikki, thank you so much for coming back.
2: Thanks for asking.
1: Uh, I, I know you were a, a busy woman, you have you were always a busy woman, but uh, I have chosen the most inopportune time to ask you to come back and rejoin me here because um, Game of Thrones just kicked off its final season, its its final world tour, and uh, of course you are hip deep in that stuff with your, your recaps and blog and all that, so yeah. how's that going?
2: Oh, well, we're one episode in at this point, uh, at the time of this recording right now, um, and it's so great to be back in Westeros, I can't tell you, and I know that the first episode got mixed reviews, but I loved it, and I mean, to to be totally cliched here, I, I feel like if Jon Snow just stood there and read the Westerosian book, I would have been thrilled. <laughs> I think it was—it was definitely a transitional episode. They had to cover a lot of territory to move us from season—the last season—into this one, and—and uh, and I think they did it brilliantly and reintroduced a lot of people, reminded us of where we are at, and now we can launch into the re-election. And I think this coming week, which we'll know by the time this airs, um, will be great. I think it's just going to be pushing right in. But as you know, I. I as I said on this week's blog, I had to blow the dust off my blog to do this because the <laughs> last time I had posted anything on it was August, 2017 <laughs> the game oh. finale. So however, I am in the process of uh, revamping the blog into a website, changing platforms, moving it over to WordPress finally. Um, and so I'm hoping in doing that, I will go back to writing a little more regularly, which would be a lot more fun.
1: Excellent. And, uh, yeah i've i've provided links in show notes for previous episodes certainly the episodes you've been on um to your uh what hang on what is it called let me look at it really quickly uh nikki stafford's great buffy rewatch archive is what i've got it called i don't know if that's its official name but um is that part of what you're trying to move over to like a website
2: yeah all of the previous stuff from what i've been told uh the guy said he would move everything over okay. but uh and but if you continue to to link there I'm sure there will have something saying this is now moved here or whatever, but yes, it's going to be in the new spot okay awesome well yeah. then,
1: you hopefully usually that kind of stuff at uh old links will connect to the new thing, but we'll I
2: think so yeah uh,
1: we'll test that once that move happens uh we'll just yes! do a check and if I need to we'll update do that. my...
2: Yeah, absolutely. You and I can play with that and then I'll fix anything that's still broken would be really good. It's one of those things where it, 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 it was supposed to be done before Game of Thrones started so that that could be the launch. My husband uh, came in and he says to me, well, here's, here's a page of the WordPress templates. Just choose a template. And I said, don't really care. And he said, no, no you got to choose a template. So the reason it hasn't been done is because I haven't taken a look. And I said, have you looked at my blog? Clearly, I don't care. what Because <laughs> it <looks like." laughs> it's like the plainest thing you've ever seen. It, like there's, there's not a much of a caring fact. But I'm hoping, you know, this will be way better looking. So I will do better this time.
1: <laughs> well, the content is what matters, Nikki. The content That's... is all that matters. <laughs> clearly i would like to believe that if you take a look at the the web presence that any of my stuff has <laughs> um, anyways all right so you're busy like i said i don't want to uh, tie you up too long so let me uh, let me drop the dreaded spoiler warning here and we'll get into it uh for those of you who are just joining for the first time for some reason uh, conversations with dead people is not a typical rewatch and review podcast uh By that, I mean we're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole, uh, which means spoilers and probably a lot of them. So I recommend if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series all the way through at least once, uh, press pause. Go do that. Come back. uh, This podcast will be evergreen. I will be paying for this in perpetuity for the rest of my life. Uh, It'll always be here. So (laughs) Um, with all of that out of the way, Nikki, if you're ready, let's go to work. Right. All right, so uh new moon rising. Um yeah, I said <laughs> I said on the last episode of this podcast that uh um what was it? Where the wild things are, we, which we covered last week. Uh I always whenever I see that uh, episode title, I always for some reason think that it's the first of a two-part Oz return thing obviously new moon rising is the oz return and no matter how many times i've i've made my way uh through piecemeal the buffy series i always think where the wild things are is like the first of a two-parter i don't know why i feel like those titles go together but (laughs) anyways uh so obviously i did not get uh, my beloved oz last week however here he is back at last
2: yes And, I mean, as as much as, as you mentioned, I am crazy busy right now. When you said, well, I'd love for you to come and talk about these two episodes, I was like, New Moon Rising? <laughs> <laughs> well, now I will drop everything just to come and do that. Um, just a quick note that my cat has just jumped up. <laughs> oh. If uh, everything suddenly goes muffled, it's because she's right near the mic and will not move away. Happy. Uh, but anyway, sorry. Um, new Moon Rising, I would always put in my top 10 episodes I love this episode I feel like that final scene in the van destroys me in so many ways every time I've seen it yeah. um and then <laughs> it's strange how much our social politics and politics in general have changed so drastically in the last 10 years to the point where this hey, is probably sorry that five years ha-
1: hang on a second Nikki <laughs> Your cat is rolling all over the microphone.
2: (laughs) Buddy! Down! So sorry.
1: That's all right. That's all right.
2: Um, And uh, so our politics have changed so much in the last five years that it's probably been five years since I've seen this episode. And I watched that final scene differently than I have before, but um, we will get to that when we get to the final scene. Okay. I'm, was, I'm wondering
1: well, if, I'm wondering if it's the same line of dialogue that I kind of tilted totally. my head. at, yeah.
2: <laughs> And I went, "What?" you know, whereas before I would already been full on tears and barely, you know, seeing anymore, but I was not like that this time. Yeah. And again, I think what that, did is, first of all, broke my heart uh, because for to, to come at a scene that has been so sacred to me for so long and suddenly see a flaw, a major flaw, again says to me, maybe that Buffy reboot is a great idea, you know, that, that we could rewrite and, and update and change that sort of thing, I think would is a great idea. Um, but yeah, but we'll get to that, I guess. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that happens in new moon rising. It feels like that one-off Oz episode, but in the end, this is the one where Riley finally sees the light and leaves the initiative and Willow comes out and to all of to well, to Buffy, not to all of her friends, but to Buffy. And these are two massive moments in, in in the series.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, the parallels between how Riley reacts uh, to his little awakening to finding out that Oz is a demon, a quote unquote demon. Uh, and the way that Buffy reacts to Willow uh, coming out to her. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously that's one of the the talking points of the episode. So, right. so what, what are your thoughts on that stuff?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, there's, they're clearly drawing that parallel where um, Riley comes off as this sort of <laughs> very conservative type of person where he's like, well, I did not know that Willow was that kind of girl. But, you know, what he means is the kind that would date outside of her species, I guess, is how he's looking at it because he's discovered that Oz is a werewolf. And then you have the parallel moment where, first of all, Buffy looks at him like, what is wrong with you for saying something like that? But then Willow tells her that she's um, she and Tara have become closer, and her the language she uses suddenly makes it clear that Tara's more than just a female friend, um, and Buffy becomes very flustered and has this look on her face like, I didn't know you were that kind of girl, you know, but she doesn't mean it the same way Riley does. It just takes her off guard, and there is something watching it now that feels a little constructed in that scene where she says will will over and over and over again until finally she just has a big sigh and says, you know, I think you guys are great together kind of thing, you know, and, and Willow, but Willow has already gotten the vibe. And then that's going to come up in the next episode again.
1: So I, (laughs) I can't, it's going to get me in trouble sooner or later. I mean, it's gotten me in trouble many for, for the last 20, (laughs) 20 years, but uh, uh, clearly I, I have a hard time taking Buffy's side the first time out in any, in any situation like this. Like I'm always, yeah. I'm almost always like, Oh, Buffy. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so I watch this uh, through the lens of um, again, reminding myself as so many of my guests have, and I've repeated many times that these are supposed to be uh, these are supposed to be real people and they're young people. And so they are allowed to be imperfect and make mistakes and so on All and right. so forth. Um, I still watch this and feel like, it's all well and good that Buffy sort of, you know, comes around by the end and she, she confronts Riley and, and, you know, plays a significant role in him sort of changing his perspective. That's all great. But Buffy really only does that because.
2: Yes. She's internalizing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs)
1: Um, And, and it's also like her, her um, indignant response or her, her like anger at Riley's initial I didn't know uh, uh, I didn't think Willow was that kind of girl which is not a great line um, oh,
0: her response
1: to that wasn't so much about um, I, he, what she says which is I had no idea you were so bigoted or whatever I think is the yes. line that she says
2: a bigot, Yeah,
1: uh, it's specifically because she's think like he could be saying that same line about her relationship with Angel absolutely so it's not yeah. quite as altruistic as she portrays it to Riley, which, again, is fine. It, it's, the show is allowed to have layers like that, but <laughs> that's just always the right, lens exactly. that I first watch this stuff through.
0: Um,
2: yes, and for sure, she she's seeing herself in that, which I guess to a certain extent, you wonder how much of, of what we say and do on a daily basis is simply thinking, I wouldn't want someone to say that to me, you know? Yeah only with her it's so much more obvious that that's what she's thinking but i believe that that's probably what most of us i think thinking when we say or do certain things in defense of others is i wouldn't want that to happen to me and in her case she was dating someone who would be seen as a beast as an hst as the initiative call which is weird because that's a taxing system in canada so now (laughs) you're like what at the time And it didn't bug me, but, um, but yeah, it's, you know, they, they immediately put them, pigeonhole them into a box. And, and for me that of him saying that was so relevant again, you know, like socially right now, where we are in the world right now, there are so many people compartmentalizing and pigeonholing people all over again and sticking them in a category because it's easier to uh, stamp something like that on their forehead than to see them like a human being.
0: Yeah.
2: And both sides unfortunately doing that so um so yeah it was a really interesting scene for me
1: yeah and again it gives me an opportunity to uh appreciate riley mark Blucas more than he he right. more than most people he's i mean he oh, riley. he he is he is who he is and he doesn't have uh he hasn't had enough time on the show to have have developed the the chemistry and maybe the acting chops that we expect from all of the regular cast members. But I still, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for him, but all right. So the...
2: I've been, I've been so mean to Riley. Over <laughs> <laughs> and just because it became more fun than anything else. Like even now, even now when I should know better, I'm looking at my notes right now and the scene where Oz shows up, that for the first time at Giles's Place. I have written in my notes, Riley looks confused. Must be a Tuesday. <laughs> 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 like, I can't let up on this poor guy. And yet the very last time we see him, he's fantastic. Like, you know, it, it really makes up for so much. But we won't get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> but yeah, I, poor Riley. <laughs> he's the good boy. He really is. And And she makes fun of him repeatedly in this episode for that you know like she says it over and over again about how you're such a good boy oh do you wake up in the morning and do your push-ups and call your mom you know like that sort of thing and and he just looks at her like, "What the? You know? Like, I'm just doing the thing I'm I, supposed to do." And I'll
1: I'll tell you without getting too specifically personal, I identify powerfully with, with that particular line when he says, "Okay, I've been awake for less than a minute and I've already pissed you off." Oh, Riley <laughs> Finn, my right? my God, son, I feel you so hard in that specific <laughs> second
0: amazing.
1: Anyways, um so oh, yeah. the the thrilling return of Oz which uh okay, <laughs> first of all, the beautiful way to end the cold open with with a, a typical Oz laconic hey <laughs> in the yeah. door. Right? Yeah. Um but uh, the only bad thing about the return of Oz is the return of the show's werewolf makeup. <laughs> oh my god, which I kind of I guess I'd forgotten I mean, I knew the larger the large beats of the episode. I I knew the whole point was Oz comes back thinking that he's he's tamed the wolf within, and he clearly hasn't. But for some reason, I had blacked out that that meant he was gonna full on transform, and we'd get the goofy okay, guy yeah. in the.
2: And, the, and the, the shambling run yeah. thing throughout the auditorium. I was like, oh, I forgot. I did the same as you. I was like, I forgot this happened. <laughs> I think I've deleted it from my brain. Oh, so yeah. terrible,
1: so terrible. So, so, so I, I, I wish that we could have gotten Oz back and that he had genuinely tamed the wolf. But yeah, <laughs> at any rate, it's, uh, it's always great to have Oz back. And this is
2: always
1: not, not quite. Uh, it's the last real Oz that we get I believe I believe he shows up in Restless in the in the as dream Oz but I think this is the last of real Oz that we ever get
2: right yeah which (laughs) is sad because everyone wanted to see him again at the very end Mm -hmm. you know
1: yeah comics don't count don't at me people um no (laughs)
2: uh,
1: but how'd you feel about uh Seth Green's return his performance here
2: um, his performance is really good. There are moments where it almost felt a little corny, but that's fine, you know, uh because I just I love Oz so much. And there's that moment where Willow with that fabulous coat, you know, I just yes, I, I, love I love that coat. I love that coat and the sweater. I mean everything that's always very colorful and flowery. That's so Willow. But when they're outside because he wants to show her that the full moon is out. And and she says, it's like I'm dreaming that something I've wanted for so long is happening and I can't believe it's happening. And I remember at the time kind of feeling that way as a fan, you know, like how long had we wanted this guy kind to of return? And it felt like forever, but it actually wasn't that long, but it still felt like it. And uh, and it was just so great to see him. And, when she, and it's interesting, too, to watch the different – body language throughout this episode so when she's very tentative and awkward around him in the beginning um because while this is what she wanted more than anything the timing is crap (laughs) you know like only he'd shown up a while ago but i know um, someone someone needs
1: needs to let her know she's in a joss whedon show and she'll (laughs) Yeah, the timing
2: is never going to be right, dear. (laughs) Just you wait (laughs) if you want to see bad timing. Um, But yeah, And, and the other thing is, though, is even if he had disappeared and then came right back and they continued... Who's to say she wouldn't have still met Tara, right. you know, and fallen for Tara. So it's not like this ever was going to work because Willow has discovered who she really is. And it's not someone who's with Oz. And she really takes this whole episode where it's, it's so fascinating to watch her really struggle with these emotions and, and say to Buffy that when I sat there talking to him... You know, everything came back. But even though everything came back, it's now colored by who she is now. It's like watching, re-watching Buffy every five years. Everything in your life has changed so much, you're going to be watching it differently than you did before, which is my experience, always re-watching it. And when I love when they're under the moon, and she's very awkward and halting, and then he shows her the thing, and she just... Leap so excitedly into his arms. This isn't a deep, sensual, loving thing. It's just Willow being so excited that this friend of hers has figured this out. But when he hugs her back, yeah. it's so different. And you see his face. And later, when she Willow is in Tara's room, you see sort of the flip of that where um, Tara goes to hug her and Willow closes her eyes and holds her tighter. She does it the same way Oz does. And mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever really noticed that, that parallel before, that you watch that mm-hmm. Willow hugs Tara the way Oz hugs Willow, and even though Willow doesn't even seem to notice it in the
1: beginning. That's a great catch. Um, yeah. So Alison <laughs> Hannigan uh, has become such a phenomenal actress uh, over the course of this series up to this point. Um, that it's almost like it's almost not even worth pointing out
2: <laughs> at I, this I, point. I know it's just like we're repeating ourselves I, I
1: know I mean she is clearly the uh she gives the standout performance by by every metric that we can measure um yeah. she's just phenomenal here but at, we kind of have come to expect that from her at this point which makes it Almost, I say almost, because I really was moved to tears by her, and she is phenomenal. And and any any opportunity for Tara as, as, sort of old as it gets to watch uh, Willow cry, any opportunity for Willow to shed a tear, for Alison Hannigan to cry on camera. I mean, it's always moving. So, um, yeah. Anyways, her performance is great, but really the perform the performance that I was struck by was. Um, well, okay, first of all, I, I have to comment on Amber Benson. I love Tara and I love Amber Benson. Um and at times this early version of Tara where she's very awkward and stumbly and, and whenever she gets nervous or insecure, she stutters and all that. It's very endearing and charming. I struggled a little bit with it in this episode. Like when yes, you're watching me too. When you're I... watching Alison Hannigan give one of her like award worthy, heartfelt performances. And then the camera angle reverses and Amber Benson has to act against that. And I'm like, Oh, sweetie."
2: That's what I thought. I thought you are cursed with having to appear with Alison Hannigan all the time. You know, that's always going to hurt you where she stands there kind of blinking and, you know, her head has these weird twitches. And as you say, things that eventually disappear, you know, like we don't have to deal with those for much longer. Thank goodness. But, um, but yeah. I, I I it was really bothering me in this episode.
0: Yeah. I had
2: it, but the, th- this time, yeah.
1: The the forced stutter, like I said, a lot of times um, that's that's really like sweet and kind of heartbreaking uh and it really brings you into that character, but in the scenes when she was uh trying to show how like nervous or heartbroken she was by by Willow when she would stutter, I was like I don't know. It just it felt like acting and I
2: Yes, there yeah, was one moment, I can't even remember which one it was, but there was, it was in her dorm and she said a line. And I thought, couldn't they have tried to run that line a couple more times? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, they all had a really tight schedule that day. I couldn't understand why that one had made it to tape. It really surprised me. It was so bad. Um, and certainly the others didn't quite come in like that one. But there was one line and I wish I could remember exactly what it is, but it was, it was so bad.
1: Yeah, I think for me, was it the uh, do what do whatever makes you happy or whatever? Yeah, that has
2: been it. Maybe. Where it's just she stump- her eyes are closed for half a bit and stumbles through it. Yeah, and, she yeah. stumbles
1: over the ha ha happy a couple <laughs> of times. Yeah,
2: do, 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 yeah, no, and it just didn't feel genuine. And you almost want like Nicholas Brendan has has come out in many interviews and explained that he had to overcome quite a severe stutter mm-hmm. when he was young. Wow. And you'd think that he was, his, you know, in the realm of, of real, how about I help you, you know, something, but it's, you know, it was, it's just unfortunate that yeah. moment. Yeah.
1: Well, okay. So I feel like a dick uh, picking on that. <laughs>
2: <performance>. <laughs>
0: like, no. So um,
2: I
1: love- I, I'll say that the, the standout, Aside from the obvious Willow performance, which is great. uh, The standout performance for me was uh, Seth Green as Oz, because one of the most endearing things about Oz, of course, has always been his laconic... uh, (laughs) You just can't... You cannot get a rise out of him. He's so laid back and and monotone in everything that he does, no matter how extraordinary. Um, And he delivers great lines like we attack the mayor with hummus. Um, Right. uh, In this... For so many reasons I wish we'd gotten I wish this had been a two part episode (laughs) Uh, I wish we'd gotten just a little bit more Of this version of Oz Because it was great to watch uh, Seth Green Show us Oz, not werewolf Oz But just Oz getting Like worked up yes uh, when, when he was yeah. smelling Terra or when he was smelling Willow on Terra and he was he was like getting agitated which led up to the transformation it's just it was refreshing to see the character of of what's his name Daniel Osborne is that his full name
2: yes I think exactly.
0: that's
2: it uh,
1: yeah. seeing him kind of get pulled out of the the laconic shell
2: yes exactly and you know, that that he's gone to Tibet and learned how to meditate and all this, and which, of course, leads to one of the best lines. where Willow goes, yeah, because you were so spazzy before.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and it's true. Of all the characters who didn't need to find Zen, <laughs> it would be the guy who was 24-7 Zen. And yet, it's not to control Oz, it's to control the other side of him that comes out for three days a month kind of thing. And uh, And so, but what he does, though, is internalize it to you know which is interesting because it you know it's a I think we I don't want to keep harping on this but we do live at a time where I find a lot of people are now turning to meditation and mindfulness just to try to deal with the world and so this is really becoming something in the late 2010s that a lot of people are doing and you wonder if you then you're calmer through the day but at some point do you just explode and when you do it such an (laughs) epic fashion (laughs) which i have found i do (laughs) i feel like i'm so much calmer and then not um and and it was such a moment where you're like first of all he's sniffing her and then he's telling her that he's sniffing her and i'm like anna probes on and then he just (laughs) keeps going and and i mean that scene escalates so quickly and It's like you say, it's like we're seeing someone else. It's it doesn't feel like Oz anymore. But Seth Green puts in this incredible performance in this one scene where you're like, whoa, where you totally believe it's Oz and yet it's not at the same time. I love that.
1: So I know Seth Green has done a million things. He 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 does so much stuff. He he's done way more than just the two things that I always think of. (laughs) I always think of Seth Green. I identify him with with Oz. Clearly. Yeah. And like the only other thing that ever pops into my head for Seth Green, it's not, uh, it's not the, um, oh, what the heck, where he's Dr. Scott Evil, uh, the. Oh,
2: uh, oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, Austin Powers. Austin Powers, God. It's not those movies, yeah. actually. The other thing I always think of is Can't Hardly Wait, which is the cheesy right.
2: high,
1: high school graduation 90s movie.
2: Um, I always think of him as Robot Chicken and all those voices right. that he did on that right. show. Yeah. <laughs> I um, used to watch that obsessively.
1: Well, those two things are completely opposite. His his yeah. character, his character in Can't Hardly Wait, and then Oz. But for some reason, uh, so so that alone—if those are the only two things I ever think of him from—that alone shows that he's got range. But
2: shows range exactly. But
1: it's still it's still sort of thrilling for me to see him play the character to to do something other than just the laid-back Zen Master Oz. So I love that, yeah. and and among them the many the countless spinoffs that i frequently wish that we'd gotten <laughs> again not in the damn comics <laughs> yes uh the one with oz walking the earth like kane kane and kung fu is yes. got to be near the top of the list man
2: one walkabout
1: yeah no yeah. for sure but um, anyways well. so um i guess sort of my last question about this episode is um I I get that the real life slash supernatural metaphors that this series does—they're—they're they're often used uh, for dramatic effect. They're not—they're <laughs> not necessarily there to sort of push some kind of philosophical agenda or idea that the show has. Uh, especially when it's when they're using it to kind of break up romantic, to create romantic tension, or to to split up romantic couples or whatever. Um, Which is almost always used Strictly for the drama Effect rather than to Instruct its audience or examine Some deeper meaning anyways so So I get that however I just can't I can't help but wonder In this particular instance uh, What Is the show trying to Demonstrate by having Oz Leave Basically like uh, Practically at the drop of a hat he He disappears and abandons Willow uh, to, to go wander the earth and find himself, which in the process hurts Willow. Mm
0: -hmm. He
1: succeeds in finding himself mostly, I think Mm -hmm. in large measure, he finds himself, he returns, which also hurts Willow. (laughs) Right. Um, uh, And ultimately he ends up sort of losing the girl and much of that self that he found when he left in the first place. Like I, I just, again, I'm sure that the answer here is that it, that's just used for dramatic effect and that it becomes, it's not Oz's story. It's all about Willow, but I, yeah. I can't help, but wonder if there's some read on that.
2: Yeah. And and I do believe that Oz is slightly sacrificed here, you know, writing wise to further Willow's character development. And as you say, this is, this is meant to be a metaphor so uh, the werewolf represents hormones in teenagers and how they're out of control and they can't do certain things blah, 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 you know. And that's certainly on one level, but then a the deeper level is the control of that, and that Oz is a really good guy. And that's the thing is that he's such a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the question is, so where does that metaphor come in? That even the best guys lose control. You know, like it's, it's, a, it's an odd thing to throw in there. And now we have to try to wrangle with that idea. Um, and, you know, the, the one thing, I mean, as we were talking about this, it leads up to the scene in the van. Yeah. And, which is supposed to me every time I'm just blah, you know, just crying, crying. Because Willow, Alison Hannigan does this face. Mm-hmm. It's the face that just her whole face screws up in such a way that I can't even handle it. You know, I just the lump in my throat got so big, and I think she just hand, she cries in a way that I don't think I've ever seen anyone else cry, and it always slays me every, every time. Agreed. Um, but you know, just last year we watched the the Brett Kavanaugh tr- uh, hearings on, <sighs>
0: and we're
2: here watching what. This guy, who was a teenager in the 80s, acted like a more than teenager, late teens, early 20s in the 80s, and by the sounds of it, was a drunken buffoon most of the time, but then you realize, well, 16 Candles is uh, a movie that we all loved in the 80s, and then as Molly Ringwald pointed out, but didn't you notice how Jake, the hero of the movie, hands over his drunken girlfriend to the, the nerd and says, do what you want with her. And doesn't anyone realize that that's basically opening her up to be raped? And in the end, she doesn't remember if she did or not, and he can't remember if he did or not. And it's this horrible ending that we all cheered along. Ha, 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 she's such a bitch. Isn't this a great come and blah, blah, blah. Because in the 80s, Lots of guys acted like that. And so here we are now, 15 years later, where Joss Whedon is try and his staff of writers, and Marty Knoxon is the one who's written this episode. They're trying to bring things to the fore and say, yeah, maybe certain things. Aren't right. And so we're gonna show that. But they still haven't gotten the language quite right because uh, now we're another almost 20 years later after this episode. And he looks at her and says, and let's see if you and I have the same line written down, the one thing that brings it out of me is you. And I thought, What victim blaming is that? And she says, Oh my god, it's all my fault. Yeah. He doesn't correct her. He goes, it, yes, but I'm leaving. You it know? it okay. was
1: my fault. I upset you was the line that it I was, was like, really?
2: So he victim blames, she accepts the blame. He lets her accept the blame and says, but don't worry, honey, bunny. I'm leaving. So I guess we won't have a problem because I don't need to learn how to keep it in my pants. I just need to get away from you. And it was like, what? you know, and I, I it, it, ruined this, this incredible favorite scene of mine to hear those two lines one after the other
1: oh i so i had i had that exact same reaction i um i struggle so much with <laughs> like I don't even know how to talk about this subject without getting myself into more trouble. I I also had that same reaction. I wrote in my notes, what the hell is up with Willows? It was my fault. I upset you, Lon. Yeah. Yeah. Um but uh, so I obviously had that that read on that. Um but then I also try to tell myself um that I don't I don't know that there there is an innocence with which that scene was written and yes. like the the emotional impact of that scene can still play as long yeah. as we just recognize today what the language means. And I don't um, know.
2: You've got to contextualize things. Yeah. So and I, he didn't mean it the way we now hear it. And right. so and, and it also created then this big question in me is have we gone too far in our overreading of things that what the intention behind it was, I love you more than anything in this life, but I can't be with you because you bring out this side of me and I need you in my life. I can't see you with someone else. So now I have to leave because it's going to save me and it's going to save you. And we look at that and go, did he just blame her? You know, like that. Yeah. Whereas, Let's go back to seeing the way it was intended.
1: Yeah, see, th- that,
2: th- and there's the problem, right?
1: Thank God. Thank you so much for being the one to, to say, have <laughs> have we overcorrected? I That's I I point. struggle. I struggle a lot with feeling like Daily. There there is there is perhaps sometimes at least in some situations a a, a tad bit of overcorrection. I agree. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, so. more than
2: it's bad. I agree. So and...
1: I, I just, I, I, I would like us to continue to have to be open-minded to that, to recognizing that we don't necessarily need to uh, swing the pendulum, com- you know, 180 degrees in the opposite direction.
2: <laughs> I totally <laughs> agree.
1: At any rate,
2: and and I'm certain that this is why the, our world is becoming so polarized. Yeah, is that. If if one side becomes more extreme, the other side is going to become more extreme in response. Then the first side is going to get more extreme, and this is what's happening. And if we would stop doing that and understand that things weren't, it wasn't meant that way, because Oz could have stuck around and said, "You know what? You bring out the worst in me, and I'm still going to stick around here because I know that someday you're going to be my girlfriend. So guess what? I just enrolled in Sunnydale U. You know, like he doesn't do that." He's like, I'm going to leave because it will save you and it'll save me.
1: Right. And yeah.
2: Okay. So Th- Thor- oh, my God, Paul, I think we just saved the scene for us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, good. Well then <laughs> Well then let's uh let's put a stamp on that one and move yeah. on to uh the Yoko factor. Yoko factor. Um all right. So this one crosses over. This picks up from the end of Angel Season One, episode nineteen, Sanctuary. Um uh, right. Which is the second part of one of my favorite two-parters, like in all of the Whedonverse. It's
2: amazing. uh,
1: So that picks up here. We only get, we get just the tiniest little taste of what that was all about in this episode. But um, in this episode... I do, Okay, first, I just have to say, in my notes, I've got written here, previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and then in all bold, and on Angel. Oh, God, I love Angel the series so damn much. That's what I wrote in my notes.
2: <laughs> right. Um, all right. But,
1: um, go. What, what do you think of the Yoko Factor? How do we feel?
2: The Yoko Factor is... Uh... Uh, it's it's a bit of a difficult episode. Um, I still I still love it. I, you know, here's where I'm going to be on on your side. I don't know how you felt about Buffy's actions in the Oko Factor and in Sanctuary, but in my book, <laughs> in my books, because I also have one on Angel called Once. But in, in the Angel episode guide, I was like, Buffy just shows up. Yeah. <laughs> and rips into both of them and rah, 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 rah. and then in invite me i continued that thought process because buffy keeps insisting that she went to la to save and Angel- she didn't she went no. there on revenge to come after faith because she was ticked that faith was moving in on her ex-boyfriend you know and there she has she is just denying everything in this and so it's a little annoying um but on the other hand Again, my sympathy swings back around to Buffy whenever she gets ganged up on. I hate when they gang up on her, (laughs) and I'm always on her side whenever this happens. And I do think that this episode is really important because even though Spike is planting seeds um, to try and break up the group and, and, and instigate the Yoko factor, as he explains later, these seeds, I think, continue to fester. And they do all the way to the end of season seven, the things he has said about she doesn't want you as her watcher and they're not accepting you and Tara and Xander, they think you're the hanger on, you know, like all these ideas continue to eat away at all of them all the way through. I think.
1: Yeah. I want to, I want to talk about um, how Spike is so effective at this and what that says about the, all of the characters and the show in general. But uh, I want to, Stick with the the crossover stuff and and yes. whether Buffy was right about that or not. Um, so in my notes, I I sort of wrote down that this feels like a particularly forced excuse to have Angel pop up in Sunnydale, uh, right? Especially since it doesn't really. I mean, it allows for the the humorous uh, meeting of the boyfriend, <laughs> like the ex boyfriend and the new boyfriend, and that. Right. That stuff was fun, but. Um, the one of the reasons I felt like it seemed kind of like a forced excuse for a crossover uh, was because, like you said at the end of Sanctuary, I personally, <clears throat> excuse me, I personally feel like uh, Angel said what needed to be said yes. at the end of that yes. episode, and didn't really need to come seeking this kind of closure.
2: No. <laughs> um. Yeah, and and of course it's hurtful to Buffy, and I get that, and I have no doubt she comes back, because what he says is harsh, and the way he puts it, you know, and he's like, get out of my city, you know, and to me, that was twofold. It was one that, look, I'm doing other things over here, and you're just showing up trying to botch it, but secondly, it was Angel the series saying to Buffy the series, we're done. We don't need the crossovers. We are our own show now right. and we don't need to do this anymore. And right. so that's really important on that level to me.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, she says, <clears throat> so I found a, uh, the transcript or whatever. And she says in, in sanctuary, she says, I came here because you were in danger. And he's like, I'm in danger every day. You came because yeah. of faith. You were looking for vengeance. And she says, I have a right to it. And he says, not in my city. And that's where that whole yes, conversation. Yes, that's right. No, I
2: that, like that You're right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um. Anyways, so on the other hand, you know, so I, I, I personally, I'm Team Angel in that aspect. I'm Team Angel most times, but I'm Team Angel <laughs> in that particular instance. But you know, I, I also, I get the need to always feel like you have to say more, even if it's not necessary or helpful. I, I, I understand the emotional need here, just story-wise from from a writing perspective i'm like did we really need this we didn't really need this yeah but at any rate so let's talk about um the show has a really interesting uh take on the perceptiveness of evil
0: yeah
1: um because like here obviously we get spike Spike has spent the entire season demonstrating how perceptive he is, how he notices things about the Scoobies that they don't, they either can't or won't notice about themselves or each other. Um, uh, He, he notices the willow terror relationship just by Mm -hmm. the tiny little glance, which also another faith also picked up on that before anybody else had ever picked up on it. Um, So Spike and Faith are both examples, I think, of quote-unquote evil characters who notice things that the clueless good guys never oh, pick yeah. up on. I feel like yeah. the mayor was also pretty good. I don't know. This seems like yeah. a thing that the show does a lot. Um, Spike is the prime <laughs> example, but I feel like an awful lot of the bad guys, they're, the, the danger of them, at least in some measure, comes from the
2: fact that they notice stuff that the good guys aren't paying attention to. Right. And you wonder if it's because the, the good guys are so emotionally involved that that the bad guys aren't. So they're so emotionally involved that Giles can't bear to think that his watcher wouldn't need him. Right. And so he refuses to accept that. So that's why he doesn't see that. Whereas the others are like, dude. <laughs> and, and we know he knows it because especially in this episode, um, he sings Freebird
0: right,
2: yeah. <laughs> of all things, you know, which he's just like, if I leave here tomorrow and you know, but I can't stay here with you, girl. You know, and, and the, the if you look at the lyrics of Freebird, it's pretty much Giles' exit song, really. Yeah. And uh, he, they didn't choose that by accident, you know. Um and so he certainly knows it somewhere on the inside. But uh but yeah, and then as for as for Tara and Willow, they've just had such a long, and especially Xander, they've had such a long history with Willow, where she has only ever displayed heterosexual leanings that they aren't even looking for for something to be something else. And the fact that she's as really close to Buffy as she is, it would just be natural that she would also be close to Tara, you know? And then you would not be thinking of that. Whereas Spike is like, did you not just see the way she touched her hair? <laughs> yeah. And he's looking at more obvious uh, um, on the surface things that they're completely missing. Yeah. But that's yeah. a good, I like that. Idea. I,
1: I, I just think the the way the show, I, I mean, you're right. It probably is that the the good guys are too close to all of it. Whereas the bad guys Are a little bit removed And they can look with a uh, They can pay more attention I guess I don't know but I, I just find it interesting That this show I It, it reminds me of the modern classic Spaceballs
0: <laughs>
1: Where somebody Who is it I think it's Dark Helmet I think it's the, the Darth Vader character Says um, evil will always triumph Because good is dumb
0: <laughs> It's so true amazing
1: <laughs> <laughs> Um Yeah. Anyway, so that, uh, that amuses me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay. So (laughs) what else do we get here? Um, it's also interesting that Spike uses the way Spike gets to everybody is, I think, it's really just normal stuff. It's like regular, mundane human, uh, Pain and fear and doubt and stuff that he Uses to pull everybody apart like this is not Some bit grand supernatural scheme This is no fancy spell Or apocalyptic demon uprising Or anything that threatens to tear them apart It's just normal uh, I mean I was about To say high school and some of it probably has a carryover From high school but normal 20 uh, something angst
2: Right and I mean the the things He picks on Are I mean, there are things, it's like he's gotten to the real heart of every one of them, whereas these aren't new. So Giles, going right back to the very first episode, like, welcome to the Hellmouth, He's like, hello, I'm your watcher. And she's like, don't meet you, and walks out. Like, yeah. right from the beginning, she has pushed him away. Willow was the nerd that no one thought would be part of. She was going to be part of no group. They didn't want her. If they didn't accept her the way she was, she was too weird because she was the nerd. And so she has always lived with that kind of worry. And, I mean, look at Xander. Xander has always been the add-along. It's back in, I think it's season three where we get the Zeppo, mm-hmm. and here we are a full season later. He's still living with that concern that they just think I'm the add-on, and that I don't actually contribute anything. In the Halloween episode, he's a soldier. It's the only time he feels like he's actually contributing something. And this carries on all the way right to the end, where I think in season seven, um, I can't remember the episode, it might be potential, where he sits down and says to Dawn... You know, he's, even then he says, I'm the guy that fixes the windows. But at that point he says, but they need the windows fixed, you know? And he's realized I do have a purpose. It just might not be the one I wished I had had in this group. But Spike picks up on the deepest fears of every one of them. It's like a really subtle version of that nightmares episode back in season one. You know, what scares you the most? Yeah. Um, And he's still picking on it. Every season, they always have that one where it's like, what really deep down scares you the most? And back in season one for Buffy, it was her uh, divorced father saying, yeah, I don't love you, and I split up with your mom just to get away from you. I mean, that is something that a 16-year-old would be most scared of. And those fears change. But deep down, it speaks to some deeper fear that will always be the same. It just manifests differently as she gets older. And for Xander, it's, not being part of the gang and them not respecting that he's masculine in any way. And for Willow it's that she doesn't belong because she is a nerd or she's not accepted or she she, they don't like the way she is for one reason or another and now that's pushing itself onto Tara. And for Giles it's that I'm the adult in the room and they're the one they always dismiss and no one listens to me and maybe and even from the Watchers Council they all look at him like he's a goof and they don't really take him seriously. So Spike brilliantly taps into exactly the things that they're all going to be bothered by.
1: Yeah, he even says, that was so much easier than I thought it would be.
2: Yeah, it really is, because of how much they question themselves.
1: I mean, whatever pacing issues we may have, and, and I'm I'm more forgiving of season four than a lot of people are. However, on this rewatch, even I have been like, okay, I kind of see it now. There have been some pacing yeah. issues with season this.
2: Four my least favorite for sure yeah Yeah,
1: um uh, it's it definitely suffers uh from pacing uh i feel like it tread the season as a whole tread water a lot longer than it needed to and now it's kind of racing at the end to catch up with itself um
2: yeah and and i mean we have to remember too that you know when when these long seasons are done this isn't like hbo or you know or shows that drop on netflix where they've filmed the whole season at once, they take hiatuses throughout the year, and they're working on the next episodes. And when they would have dropped the first eight episodes, they were all filmed together. Then they take that hiatus while they're filming the next eight. And during that time, they've seen all the fans going, this initiative thing is stupid. (laughs) And and they didn't realize it. And so now you could see them scrambling in the middle of the season to try and get away from the initiative. But it's still, I mean, here we are in episodes... 20 and it's still there you know like we just and it's oh that initiative just drove me crazy i
1: was proud of him. let me let me ask you okay well so no let me ask you about this initiative thing because yeah. my one one of my little kind of nitpicks here has been that uh it feels to me like they they go to the well of we need to sneak into the initiative way too many times. So, and, uh, and, and, I don't know if I'm imagining this. So in my notes and all of a sudden I can't find it anywhere, but somewhere in my notes, I wrote that I think we would have been okay if we had gotten, um, Oh, here it is. We really could have done with only two of the, Uh, we need to break into the initiative things. Like at the beginning of this sort of this arc, which I think maybe was around Goodbye, Iowa or somewhere. I think maybe that was the first time that they were like, all right, we need to sneak into the initiative complex. Um, And then again at the end, which I guess maybe that's next episode. I guess that's primeval. Maybe next. I think we could have had sort of the beginning of the initiative arc. They try to break in and at the end, they try to break in. It feels to me, and I haven't gone back to look at my past notes, but it feels like almost every episode in between, <laughs> they have either tried to break in or they've talked about we need to break in. We need to sneak <laughs> right. in. Xander, you and I are gonna go in, Willow, I need you to shut down the power grid and turn off the alarms. I feel like they've had that conversation eight times at this point.
2: Right. Exactly. Okay. And and yeah, and I mean at the time everyone was like, look, if I wanted to watch the X Files, I'd flip over to the X Files. You know, <laughs> and, and and that it's it's an interesting idea, I will give the writers that, that for so long we had been saying, okay, are you telling me that no one in any authority position was noticing that demons existed? But at the same time in asking those questions, we are becoming... What's the word? We're, we're sort of like pushing too much science onto a show that's about the supernatural. And that maybe we should just be accepting that this is a supernatural world and it's meant to be a metaphor. And so but bringing in the science, he's saying, well, yes, actually, there were these people and they've been tracking them. But then, a how do they not know about Buffy? <laughs> like, if, if all these other people are on their radar, why isn't she? And you know, and and it's just it seemed just unnecessary, and that it and it moved us away from that fantastical, magical world um, into into this.
1: I'll tell you, um, when whenever I attend one of the slayage conferences or whatever, like there there are times where I get fully swept back up into the the passion for, for these shows. And, and I'm, I'm 100% like back on the Kool-Aid. And then when I'm not at a Slade conference, I often, (laughs) I'm often like, do I still want to like, it's, it's no secret. I haven't hidden the fact that I struggle with this podcast because it wasn't initially my podcast. And every once in a while I'm like, Oh man, I have to, I have to rewatch three episodes and come up with notes. And, um, and then I watch the episodes, and I come up with my with my notes and it's it's all good but um i I want to give this series props for uh for surviving because it really <laughs> it has to serve so many masters um yeah I agree like it the show wants from its earliest earliest days it was meant to set up metaphors and explore uh like real teen issues through metaphorical horror supernatural tropes and all that stuff um but also from the very beginning a lot of the fans myself included have demanded a, a touch of the real like my my earliest complaint probably right. probably the first thing I said on this podcast talking with you in fact in our first episode was <laughs> what is what is a vampire like how do vampires work explain explain the rules of vampires (laughs) to me Josh. Uh, and you're so inconsistent with it so at on the one hand i'm like it's just metaphors guys do i really need to explain metaphor to you people (laughs) um right and on the other hand i'm like but wouldn't the science wouldn't the military know about this So it's amazing the push and pull that this series must have gotten and continues to get from its fans of we want it this way, but we also want these answers, but this needs to be a metaphor, but that doesn't make sense. Um, So the fact that it's, that it survived at all and that it, uh, it sticks as many of the landings as it does. is pretty remarkable.
2: I agree. And I think that's the thing is that we have to remember that as a serialized television, show that they were paying attention to the fans, they were talking to them on the posting board, um, they were trying to react in the storyline, and maybe sometimes that wasn't for the best, you know, and so they were seeing all these questions, so they're like, well, why don't we create this military, we'll answer them that way, and then it was like, oh, that didn't work, you know, and so, and then, so they try and get rid of them, I mean, it's happened on a lot of shows, that happened on Lost, where you would see sudden switches in the plot, you know, where they're like, oh, you don't like those characters? Characters, we shall kill them for you, you know, and and that would happen as well, you know, and um and so lots of television shows have to do that, but then twenty years later you're watching it, you're not realizing all of the feedback and everything that was happening, and they're never operating within a bubble, and they also have television executives saying, yeah, I don't like, you know, and so Will, certainly willow, and, willow and
1: Tara cannot kiss on camera, that can't
0: happen, yeah. Yeah.
2: that's right, so you're gonna to have to watch that if you're gonna introduce this you know, and they changed it then you know and and so it's it's interesting you know, as I've mentioned before the difficulties of trying to get my daughter to watch the show <laughs> yeah. is because television has moved so far beyond this I mean what Buffy achieves an entire episode. Riverdale will do in five minutes, you know, because it's just so berserk and fast moving and, but Riverdale couldn't have possibly existed without Buffy right. and that it pushed so many boundaries and it's just so hard, but I'm sure, you know, there are shows in the sixties and seventies that were that way as well. And we're like, no, <laughs> it all started in the nineties, you know, but no, I mean, other shows had to push the boundaries to get us there. And th- that's just it
1: works. I'm thinking of dark shadows, which I'm not fully, yes. up, not fully up on. And maybe it's just because Jonathan Frid just passed away. Uh, a couple no, of years I was ago. Just gonna say. Yeah. yeah, Um, But I, I feel like, uh, and and scholars of dark shadows, correct me, but I feel like it maybe was an early example. I mean, it, it was much more Absolutely. of the standard sort of soap opera format than Buffy is, but
2: yeah, certainly was a precursor to Passions, which <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Spike is obsessed. Yeah. With. Uh,
1: okay, so this is the thing I want to come back to later. Uh, later in this series. Uh, I just want to kind of put a flag in it right now, you talking about the fact that um, like, they were connected with the fans. I feel like Mutant Enemy, Joss, and the the writers and directors of this series were much more engaged with their fans than mm-hmm. was normal at the time, possibly even than is normal now. They were very, very engaged and, and I'll say collaborative uh, with yeah. their fans because of the posting board and all that. They were very responsive and in touch um and the reason i want to put a flag there and revisit this in a future episode is because that might be one of the reasons why i got as upset as i did during an a controversial <laughs> plot development that happens in i think maybe season 6 where <clears throat> where um the the writers maybe one or two writers in particular uh made a point of saying, uh, I'm gonna paraphrase, and and maybe this was my my overreaction. Maybe I'm imagining it, but it felt like the writers <laughs> in this particular instance, with this storyline and this character in question, were like, "No, we're done listening to the fans. The fans want it this way. No, we need we will we will double down on the point that we're trying to make to prove that that is not where we were going with this storyline," um, and it mm. it irritated me. <laughs> Time.
2: yeah so. i i would love to come back later uh to discuss that, that idea because i had in an interview i had one of the writers come out and say to me that uh there was a certain plot point in season six where they just went no <laughs> and he 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 said flat out that that's what they did and that they were actually going to advance and that was the intention so uh so yes i'd love to come back
1: all right awesome awesome (laughs) because i thought that
2: was very interesting to admit it but uh yeah
1: (laughs) all right but uh okay so so to pull back in to pull our focus back in a little bit on uh, on this episode is there anything else we need to say about the yoko factor um i I mean i don't feel like we've said enough about the episode itself
2: (laughs) right we keep jumping out and talking about larger issues at work here um one thing that I haven't mentioned in both of the episodes, and unfortunately, this is another thing that, it, you know, for you, you're saying this is this is difficult to do this podcast, it just you know, time wise. for me, it's always this double edged sword. Oh, I can't wait to jump back in and rewatch these two episodes, but then I think, oh god, what am I going to see in there that is going to yeah. change the idea of that episode? And because, like I said, everything has changed so drastically in the last five years. When I did the rewatch in 2011, I didn't come up against this stuff so much like certainly not the way I am now Mm -hmm. but again I just found Xander (laughs) to be a in in this episode again I'm just like why is this something that I just glossed over all the time and I think it's just for some reason I just like this guy so much but he literally sits across from Riley and says but did she tell you everything about Angel and he's like (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, I mean, way too much, actually. Oh, so, you know, that whole thing about what makes him happiest and blah, blah, blah. And Riley goes, What do you mean? So clearly, Buffy didn't tell him that. Well, does that stop Xander? No. So he keeps going forward and he goes, I'll give you a hint. (laughs) And he plays it like a guessing game. And Riley stares at him and the wheels slowly turn in Riley's head. And then, (laughs) sorry, he couldn't resist. And then he says, uh, You know, oh, oh, it's sex with Buffy. Yeah. And then Xander goes, oh, my God, you didn't know. What do you mean you didn't know? Of course you knew he didn't know because you just played the guessing. Man. Like, I just didn't understand why Xander, he does these things, on, but that is his character. He's always stirring the pot, he, and especially with Buffy's boyfriends. Like, he's always after them, right?
1: He says that line... It's not as if I hate the guy, and my reaction was, "Wait a minute, what? Yes, you, <laughs> yes, you hate the guy." And then no, he says,
0: th- "Then you he says, oh, people. just
1: just all the guts of him, or something." I'm like, "Okay, yes, that, yeah. thank you, thank you for that's owning right. up to that."
2: So exactly, you tried to have him kill, killed, and becoming. Like, come on, but, you know, but yeah, it's just. And to be honest, this this new eye opening bit about Xander, which I think maybe in the back of my head I always knew it was there, but in the previous episode when all Oz is walking Willow out to show her the moon. He says, I talked to Xander, and he says, you didn't have a new guy in your life. Mm-hmm. And for a moment, I forgot that the rest of the gang didn't know. Me too. About and I'm like, you're such a jerk.
1: Me, me too. <laughs>
2: he worded it in such a way just to, t- to put Oz in this terrible situation. How could you? In the end, that's not. He actually literally managed. There's no one in her life. And he's just worded it really badly and didn't realize that he was making them. Stay, but i took it as sander doing it on purpose again because that's what he does
1: because that's what he does yeah
2: um
1: so we 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 obviously i want to say something kind about adam because i don't think i say enough kind things about adam i don't think anybody (laughs) does he's he's not the greatest he's not the greatest villain i'm not going to say that what i will say is i really do love the design of adam um I feel yes. I feel like I don't remember this for sure, but I feel like in I, I'm going to guess it's Restless, the dream sequence. I think we see human Adam, right? Yes,
2: that's in that one. Yeah.
1: Okay, and if I remember correctly, um, getting a look at the actor uh, whose name just completely went out of my head—I had it a moment ago—but anyways, getting a look at the actor outside of all of the Adam makeup uh, really uh, really shows how tremendous the the makeup design for Adam was um, right. I don't know I just some of it is a little bit cheesy like when he's got the the panel on the side of his head open and he's jacked into the computer part of me was like really but I don't care I don't care it's just I don't know his look is so is so cool um,
2: it's so good and, and I mean there are moments you know where I, I think it was even in this episode and of course I can't think of the line I didn't write it down but there was something he says to Spike where you have this sort of Pang, you know, like that you realize he didn't ask for this.
1: Is it and, is it the uh you were a boy scout? And he says parts of me.
2: Oh right. Well that was in the previous episode. Yes, that was really funny, and I wrote that one down too because I thought that was very funny. But again, maybe and, and but there is something in this one too that he says and I, I, I wish I'd written down. But I remember thinking, you know, this is a it's a very ham fisted attempt at the Frankenstein story where, you know, but it's never handled well because they don't really show the human side of Adam unless as you say, it's for a punchline. That's really the only time it's, it's used and they show it in Restless but not really in a sympathetic way. It's just in kind of a creepy way in, in Restless and and I think that they never really demonstrate just what the initiative did what Maggie did in doing this yeah. in creating this person. Like, it wasn't meant to be like that.
1: I I don't know if I've thought of it in these terms before. And I, I, I apologize if a previous guest has ever mentioned this, I can't remember, but it dawns on me right now that, uh, Adam. So Riley gets a lot of guff from fan. Well, for a lot of reasons, but one of the things that Riley gets picked on for, uh, is being kind of boring. He's the white bread boyfriend. I mean, even you said yourself, even Buffy picks on him for that. Uh, he's the good guy. And, uh, he's the captain America, the boy scout that, that, uh, at this time everybody found so boring And uh, Adam is kind of The villain version of that He's so just um, I mean yeah. he, he's, yeah. he's a badass because we're told He is like he he Never feels like he's Threatened when Buffy confronts him But really he's just a big Strong guy with a spike in his arm And uh, just His line delivery I personally like it in In scene to scene but when you think Of it When you step back and look at it, he's kind of the boring uh, Boy Scout version of a villain, just like Riley is the boring Boy Scout version of a boyfriend.
2: Right. Absolutely. He really is. boring, And this is the problem. I mean, there's just so much in this season that was so dull. And it just, I mean, they do make up for it in spades next season when the villain is Mm. just fantastic. But, uh, But this one, I mean, he's got... Zero good lines I mean the Boy Scout might might be the best line He gives, he's just, he's boring Maggie's boring, the initiative Is boring, Riley's a little bit boring You know, and I mean and, and this has been something that has been levied against The show, I mean I was complaining about it In 1998 in the first Edition of my book, but there are no Real people of color on this show To speak of, we finally get Forrest and he's such a jerk, we just want Him to die the whole time, he's just so awful
1: Well he does <laughs>
2: And then this episode gives it to us and then, well, there's the other thing, but (laughs) for now, he's dead. And, uh, you know, and, and I just, that uh, again is an unfortunate thing that it was, it was a very white show, but I, again, the reboot is going to make up for that, obviously.
1: (laughs) Okay. Here's hoping. Um, so not boring We get our first look at uh, Miss Kitty Fantastico. Is it I, our,
2: I was just going to say, we've got to mention Miss is, Kitty. Is it?
1: Because I, I cannot remember. Is this our first look at Miss Kitty? It's or is it our only look? We
2: see the cat and we see her again in Restless. Okay. Uh, because she shows up in a dream sequence walking really slowly towards the camera. It's a beautiful shot. And and when you see it, you'll remember it. But, okay. uh, but I love that shot. Um, otherwise, I... Don't know if we see her much anymore I I,
1: I remember that there were That fans were clamoring Like I feel like we hear her Hear about her again she's mentioned but I don't Remember if we ever see her and I do remember at a certain Point there were fans like please bring back Miss Kitty yeah
2: yeah Exactly there was a whole campaign
1: Yeah (laughs) Um, And we get um, I don't know if we should talk about the the group Confrontation scene at the end since you feel So strongly about it but if no, if nothing else, at the very least, we need to talk about the great Drunk Giles quotes.
2: Oh my God, he's amazing, and <laughs> and I mean, I I love Anthony Head when he's funny, and they uh-huh. just don't do it very often, you know. And and even the the moment where we we come into the scene and he's he's doing Free Bird, and I'm like a eh, little cheesy, you know. We've already done we had that moment where he's in the espresso bar. I think that's already happened where yeah. they see. You know, singing. And uh, so he's doing The Who there. He's doing, you know, Leonard Skinner. Oh, God. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) we're going downhill here, Giles. But it was an important (laughs) song for him to do. That scene is worth it. Just for him to yelp.
1: Yeah, his reaction. <laughs>
2: yeah. And, like, ah! and he jumps up out of it. That was really funny. I love that. And the way he's stumbling around and tries to go up those stairs. He's got the shirt up over his head and he's, you know, complaining about everything and tosses the shirt and Xander's I mean, it's so funny. It's a he,
1: he doesn't get to do physical comedy. I mean, obviously they brought um they brought Alexis Denisov in uh yes. to to take over the Giles role and to briefly give Anthony had an opportunity to be the cool guy right. <laughs> for, for that period of time. He was the cool guy that everybody needed and confided in. Uh, that didn't yep. last very long. And, uh, and Alexis Denisoff is fantastic at the physical oh. comedy, the pratfall kind of stuff. So he got so. to do that a lot. Giles doesn't get to do the pratfall stuff very much, despite the fact oh. that he gets conked on the head in virtually every episode.
2: Every episode. Yeah. But he's so good at it. Yeah. He's so good at it.
1: And, and uh, uh his delivery of lines like whatever happened to Latin, at least when that made no sense, the church approved. <laughs>
2: Amazing. Uh, they must have loved writing for him in that scene. That yeah. must have been so much fun. They were trying to come up with one liners that Giles would say whilst drunk. <laughs> I am
1: great. no Alfred, sir. Remember, Alfred had a job.
2: Had a job yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because he uh uh Previously I think he had no idea who Jimmy Olsen was, but he knows who Alfred is.
2: He knows who oh. Alfred
1: is. Everybody yeah. knows who Alfred is, I guess.
2: <laughs> but the one thing that I did notice is that in this scene, every every charge they're lobbying against Buffy is actually untrue. Um, because it is their lies that Spike has told them that she has... or not, even In some of them, actually, he said, no, Buffy didn't say this. The others did. Right. And yet, for some reason, they throw them all in Buffy's direction, like she said. it. she's standing there looking completely shocked. But then, she turns to Xander and says, well, you went and told Riley all about Angel. And she's the only one who says a real thing. And yet, they gloss right over it and move back to everyone on Buffy. And I'm like, Buffy's the only one who had a real point in this.
0: <laughs> so... And-
1: so, so here's my confession. I went into that scene. I knew that scene was coming. Right. And I knew that (laughs) it was going to be controversial because I typically have a hard time uh, taking Buffy's side in these sorts of moments. (laughs) Um, So I I just figured this was going to be one of those scenes where we were going to have to have a conversation about it. Um, But I also noticed that like I went into it all prepared to be On Team Willow And Xander as they unleashed on Buffy But as that was happening First of all I want to say I was impressed that All of this stuff was True in the sense of These are issues that these characters Have been struggling with for Not only this entire season but Like pretty much the entire show So this stuff wasn't like Spike didn't make this stuff Up he didn't create these issues You however are Correct in that the accusations they were hurling were false. They are real fears these characters have always had, and Spike has just exaggerated, but the things they're saying are untrue. Right. And you're right. I noticed that we, as soon as Buffy said that thing to Xander, my thought was, oh, crap. She's she's right. <laughs>
2: she's, right. she's absolutely so right. Spike can tell her that one. <laughs> so...
1: So uh, this was a difficult scene for me, I have to confess because uh-huh. I was so prepared to be like, "Shut up, Buffy." But <laughs> but uh it was much more the scene was much more uh nuanced than that, and I I came out of it thinking like this is really tragic because damn it, Buffy was right. <laughs> and and the yeah. others the others have been completely manipulated.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And
1: I hate feeling that. <laughs>
2: oh <my God. laughs> And that's the problem is in all of these, like there's going to be a major, major ganging up sequence at the end of season seven. And I don't think I've ever gotten over it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, part of part of my journey on this podcast is to see where my heart is when we get to that scene.
2: Yes, And I'm interested also to see, how I watch it that you know what if I come down on the other side and go actually they had a point you know that would be that would be new I would be shocked if I thought that way but right now so far <laughs> I still believe Buffy was right but <laughs> anyway
1: well wow. Wow. see you you're the much healthier person here because you you were able to say uh Buffy was wrong in her her argument with Angel, like at the beginning, but she's right here. Like you're, you're able to see both sides. And I am always, I'm always reaching to find excuses to say that Buffy's wrong.
2: (laughs) (sighs) Well, I always wondered if, you know, to me it always felt like Buffy was written purposely from, like the show was written from her point of view. I always felt it was kind of written from her point of view and sure we go into other moments, like, Willow and Oz is not from Buffy's point of view. That's Willow's. But when it comes to Buffy, we see her point of view. And I think that's why when I was watching this show in my 20s and writing about it, all the books came out uh, then, that that I always took her side over Joyce. And I always thought Joyce was Mm -hmm. so unfair, you know, because I was watching it as someone – who had been a teenage girl whose mother didn't understand anything and who I was always at odds with. Now I have a teenage girl. Right. <laughs> oh, Charlie's you poor darling. You know, but I, I watch it that differently. And so I do see it and yet still I see Buffy's side of it. And I think that it's just that inherent I was a teenager and when I watched it, she was the one I instantly identified with. I never saw myself as a hero. I always would be the willow of the group. <laughs> that's and I think that's why she's so many people's favorite characters. She's the one we immediately glommed onto and went, Yep, yeah, that was the one I was. But when it came up against Buffy, she had so much on her shoulders and always had to take care of everyone. And I, you know, I have always been that person, too, the one who always wants to take care of everyone around her, often at my own expense, you know, sometimes. And so to see that and see ingratitude and and misunderstanding and that they push this stuff on her, but then expect her to rise above it, I think there's just so much pressure on her all the time. and And we forget how much of this is mounting and mounting throughout the entire season. And the fact that she didn't go crazy and burn down Sunnydale herself by the end of season seven is kind of <laughs> extraordinary. I think.
1: <laughs> well, just like, uh, I said, I want to put a flag in the, uh, the writers were so connected with the fans discussion, yeah. uh, for a specific point later in the series. I also would like to maintain, I I, I want to, I don't know why I need to put a flag in it. It's just what I do. I will, we will come back to this subject, but, I absolutely would like to continue in the future to explore the notion of um us as fans then and now uh yes. kind of choosing sides like earlier in our discussion tonight you were talking about we were talking about how polarized the world has become and that we've overcorrected and swung the the opposite direction and there's yeah. there are just the two extremes now um fandom i mean fandom by its very nature it tends to do that i feel like uh that certainly is the case in the buffy fandom, everybody's got their favorite characters uh there's so much sort of drawing of sides uh and alignments that the fandom uh struck up, uh, especially during the original run and um I've alluded to this before, and I'll get to it probably around the same time we're talking about the writer's connection with the with the fans. uh We'll get to it then, but um the my interaction with the various sides of the fan base uh has colored some of my attitudes about the characters in the show and i mm-hmm. that's why i'm hoping that rewatching it and talking with you guys will give me a sort of a purer appreciation for the show than i perhaps had right at the time. right so it's all just my way of hand waving my hang ups and apologizing to my listeners if i sound <laughs> like i'm coming off too strict on certain characters <laughs> but At any rate. Uh is there anything else that we need to cover?
2: I think we covered everything. Okay. At least everything on my notes, so that's all that matters (laughs) to me. Um I
1: I, again I'll just say I can't wait to start discussing Angel, because as Riley points out, even when he's good, he's all Billowy Coat, King of Pain. Yes. (laughs) And and girls and podcast hosts like me love that. Uh but uh (laughs) Anyways, so we, uh, are very, very near the end of this, this season, which, uh, is cause for celebration, I'm sure for most fans, but, uh, Nikki, thank you again so much for joining me. And, um, I'll include a link, the, the most current link that I have to your blog, uh, so people can check you out, but is there anything else uh, that you want to pimp for our listeners?
2: Uh, no, I think that's everything. The Game of Thrones um, uh, rewatch, or sorry, recaps will continue throughout the season. We're aiming to try and hit it every Tuesday, but the recaps go up. They're very lengthy. I will mm-hmm. warn you. They're, uh, but they're yeah,
1: complete. They're, they're they're complete.
2: Complete. Yes, they're exhaustive. They're <laughs> exhausting.
1: <laughs> well, they're fantastic. And how many how many episodes of that are there? It's season eight.
2: Season eight has only
1: six episodes. Oh only six
2: episodes. Uh, yeah. Dang.
1: So, I thought there were eight episodes.
2: Setting. Oh my
1: gosh. Sorry. So they really have a lot of territory they need to cover. They do. Man. All right. So brace yourselves, people. It's gonna be fast paced, I assume. It is. All right. Well, I can't wait. Uh not only for the rest of that season, but to, to read your recaps of it. Um In the meantime, uh, and you will be back, I I don't remember if I've got you scheduled, but you're committed now because you're coming back to, at at the very least, you're coming back to join me for that controversial stuff that's going to get me in so much trouble.
0: All right. right. I'll get
1: in trouble. (laughs) Cool. So uh, thanks again. And thank you, everybody, uh, for listening. Um, You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. uh, And please rate us or write us a review. Um, There are other podcasts that eh, i don't know some people listen to but uh please spread the word about this help me help me get the name of the show out there um if you've got questions for me or any of my guests or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything we've discussed join the conversation you can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com follow us on twitter at conswithdead or reach out to us on the facebook group which is conversations with conversations with dead people um, next episode, this podcast's equivalent of the first Slayer, which, as I say, that probably sounds way more complimentary than it's meant to. Um, Arlo Wiley is back again already <laughs> to close out uh, the controversial season four with episodes 421 Primeval and 422 Restless. So until then, ger arg, everybody. Ger arg. If I
0: leave here tomorrow... Would you still remember me? Well, I must be traveling on now There's too many places I've got to see And if I stay here with you, girl Things just couldn't be the same Cause I'm as free as a bird now